quick note before we begin the episode. Episode 200 is fast approaching, and to mark the occasion, Hussam and I will host a special Q&A session with questions from you lovely treasurers. Click on the link in the show notes to submit your question, and we will even send a $10 gift card for our favorite five questions. It can be about careers, treasury, corporate treasury 101, or even what Hussam's favorite ice cream flavor is. Deadline to submit your question is December 15th. Have a lovely episode. Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the second part of our full interview with Oscar Coyle, where we discuss short-term investment options for treasurers. In the episode of today, expect to learn what recommendations should treasurer consider for diversification and risk management in their portfolios, how do the treasurer's priority of capital safety, liquidity, and yield align with the investment strategies of the modern era, what are the main differences and options between the US and European corporations when it comes to short-term investment, and like always, much, much more. We really hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform, or even YouTube. And this is our only request to you. The best way you can support the podcast is to head to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Corporate Treasury 101. That will mean the world to us and help much more people learn about treasury. On another other note, this episode is brought to you by Automation Boutique. Automation Boutique is empowering treasury, finance, and risk management with tailored automation solution. They use robotic process automation, RPA, AI, APIs, and Power Query to create automations that can work with your existing systems. We partnered with Automation Boutique as we really like their approach to innovation and how they help the industry. For this partnership, they came up with an AI-powered automation self-scan that can help you find out if a business process is suitable for automation and how to best get started. It is totally free, non-intrusive, and only takes about 15 minutes. What's great is that the report you will get from the scan helps you determine if the benefits of the automation outweigh the costs. If you want to have a look, head to the link in the description or to automationboutique.com slash corporate treasury 101. And with all that being said, please welcome Oscar Coyle. Okay, makes lots of sense. Let's just, let's assume then that we are looking at um, third-party short-term investment tools. What are the most popular instruments for treasurers right now to park their cash in the short term, especially given the current context? I think you brought up the, the repo a bit earlier. Maybe we can delve into this type of instruments that are options for treasurers. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it comes back to that old adage of SLY, so security, liquidity, yield. Um, and I'd sort of like to throw in the third, the fourth um, term there, which is which is diversification. You know, treasurers will always want to be able to be diversified, secured, liquid, and, and then get a recom, you know, a, a, uh, a an appropriate level of yield. Um, now, what is popular, as I was sort of alluding to earlier, has been dictated by what is easy to access. So, you know, you can easily access money market funds. You can easily access term deposits. Um, in terms of other options that 
have been or are available as treasurers, something like a, a repo, you know, this is usually an instrument which takes a lot of heavy lifting to access. You need to appoint your lawyers to agree your GMRA, so your global master repurchase agreements. There's a lot of work that goes into setting up those transactions. When you get there, they're great. From a risk-adjusted return perspective, not only are you, so first of all, facing a very high-quality bank, but you actually then have this almost comfort blanket of collateral, which can be liquidated at you know any point given a default. And also, the way in which you're funding that bank from a regulatory capital point of view um, is, is very favorable to them, meaning they can pay a higher return. So you can be in this somewhat um, strange position of taking less risk, but getting a higher return. Uh, and that sometimes people gets, uh, you know, pe people struggle to get their head around a little bit. But this is, as I say, this is how the very large investment banks manage their cash. They always do it on a secured basis. I think if there was somewhere where you could access repo much more easily without any of that heavy lifting, this would be a very popular instrument because it kind of ticks all those boxes of security, um, offering you a way to manage liquidity risk. And we could talk about what liquidity risk is in, in, a, in a bit as well, maybe. And of course, it gives you a, a, an appropriate level of yield. Um, but just to think really about diversification, I think it's really interesting, right? You know, we think about diversification on one level, really, which is just being diversified, diversified across institutions. So a treasurer might think, right, you know, I've got 10 banks. Um, I use a couple of money market funds. I'm really well diversified. So if we think about the banks for a second, you know, they're pretty linked. There's contagion risk there for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're all open to the same sort of risks. We saw what happened with Credit Suisse when that was going on. Um, some of the other banks across Europe were looking a little bit on the edge. Um, so there is a degree of contagion there. So are you truly diversified if you're only ever in, in banks? And then if we think about money market funds, yes, they invest across a number of different securities and do provide a decent level of diversification but there's a limited universe to what those money funds can invest in. So if you're in one, two, three money market funds, you're pretty much just doubling down on, on, on credit risk to those underlying institutions. Of course, there's the utility they do provide, they do provide that diversification, um, but if you are a, a corporate with you know, high levels of cash, really opening up another money market fund, it's not adding any diversification. And so I like to think about diversification on those two levels, it's across institutions, so, you know, spreading my credit risk, but also across asset classes. So when I say asset classes, sectors, right? So I like to think about the financial sector, so that's your banks, but then also governments and government agencies, so government-like risk. So do I have a way of placing money directly into the government or into an SSA, so a super sub-sovereign or agency? Do I have that facility? Um, and then also, is there something in my treasury policy that allows me to buy corporate paper? Because again, that is to totally diversified away from those financial risks. So the same risks that apply to all those multiple banks, they're not quite the same when it comes to a corporate. So I think so long as corporates are thinking about, you know, how can I truly diversify my cash? Um, and I, they've, they've got other places they can place it, which isn't just a bank or a money fund. Um, I think they've got a pretty suitable policy there. Is it something that you see uh, companies investing in commercial paper? Like, is it something common? I'm wondering because if we consider banks 
being risky nowadays, aren't corporates even more? Like, is it something you see in the market? So it is something we see um, that corporates are buying other corporates paper. That does happen. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the difference between the US sort of corporate treasury market and, and UK slash Europe in, in a second. Um, but if you think about how most corporates view banks and their credit risk, they're using credit rating agencies, right? They're looking at them. They're saying, okay, SA, SAP has this rating. Um, Fitch has this rating. It's, it's, above my, it's above my threshold. It's, it's A minus or better. It's okay. I can, I can use them and think, done. Um, whereas actually a lot of these corporates who are out there issuing paper also have pretty strong credit ratings from these, from these agencies. And so from a risk perspective, if they're rating it as an A and there's a bank rated A, then, then it's, looking, it's looking pretty good. And as I say, it's offering diversification, which is, the, which is the key. A risk which is going to affect a corporate, if you're lending money to that corporate, isn't necessarily going to affect that bank, but a risk to that bank may well then affect that whole banking sector and, and, and have contagion. So, of course, there is risk and you should put appropriate measures in place to, to you know, mitigate that, i.e., you know, you may have a monetary limit on how much you can place with other corporates or indeed, again, a, a credit rating limit that you have to, you know, they have to be A-rated or better, whatever it might be. Um, but I do think there's a place for buying corporate paper directly. And I touched on it just a second ago, but in the US market in particular, this is something which is much more routinely done. Um, you know, other corporates are appointing, you know, short-term portfolio managers and managing cash um, in-house and using CP um, because it's a valuable tool to diversify, but also to, to get a, 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 an attractive yield and an attractive risk-adjusted return given the credit rating um, of those institutions. So it's something like that direct securities purchases in the US is much more common than it is in Europe. And you've got to sort of ask why, you know, and I, I think the, the question, the answer rather is, you know, there's just the market access there. That there, are, there is the way of doing, there are ways of doing it. Whereas here and, and across Europe, it's limited, but it's growing. And I think um, that will be something which will be really interesting to see over the next sort of few years as, as it grows. There's a lot of reliance on the credit rating agencies there. I mean, the, I guess with banks, if you're taking, uh, if you're getting your liquidity from a bank, then you, you kind of only have to watch the financial sector, right? And to see how is the financial sector doing, that's kind of addictive, the economy overall, and people kind of understand that a bit better. When you start going into corporate papers as a treasurer, do I need to start taking into account, okay, yeah, Fitch rated them an A minus, but uh, how is the overall trucking industry doing if I'm getting a logistics company's papers or how is the overall um, software space doing or, the, or what you have all these other industries you need to start watching as well right does that does that not make it far more difficult so so I think it's a really good point um, reliance on the credit rating agencies and if you look what happened with Credit Suisse you know I can't remember the exact dates but it took you know it was very close to the UBS takeover that they actually got downgraded so you know, unless you were looking at the CDS rates, which were blowing up, you know, six months prior, then really you might not have, you know, you might not have um, pulled out of, uh, out of Credit Suisse if you were purely relying on those, those credit rating agencies. So uh, do I think a corporate treasurer is ever going to place, you know, 50 plus percent of their liquidity with other corporates? No, that's not going to happen. But a lot of corporates are already exposed 
to CP by their money market funds. You know, money market funds are purchasing these instruments. So they already are doing that. If they had a way of buying those pa those papers directly, could they place an element of their portfolio in them? I think so. Um, you know, you certainly wouldn't place a great deal, I don't think, um, but you would probably use it because you're right. It's impossible for a treasurer to stay on top of the trucking industry, the logistics industry, and all of these things, as well as doing everything else that they do. And, and you know, to a certain extent, that's why there is the reliance on the credit rating agencies because treasurers simply don't have the bandwidth to, you know, have a have a team of credit rate uh, credit analysts who are working away in the background and looking at balance sheets and whatnot to do those. Because you, the complexity of your counterparty risk just goes up as well with it, right? Because of these industries. And we did an episode where we talked about credit rating agencies, and I think you, if you're sub investment, you're only getting reviewed every six months, and if you're investment grade, you're getting reviewed every year. And a lot can happen in a year, as we've seen in the last couple of years as well, right? So it's... Exactly. And there are there are some tools out there which are trying to sort of change this and and to allow for better transparency. Um, and I think, you know, treasurers should be, should be aware of some of those because um, they are really interesting because it's, it's certainly a space where at the moment it's a little bit opaque. Like you say, they don't get updated quickly enough. They're a little bit backward looking rather than forward looking. Um, and I think there are tools out there which can which can really help. I think we covered one in our AI newsletter, but I can't actually remember the name of it. The credit rating. Uh, no, it was on counterparty risk. Yes. Uh, it was looking at, it was an AI which was scouring the news for um, the... A specific industry and yeah, tell you because of what's happening, the that's the predictive model. Yeah, and giving Correct. you... Correct. I don't remember the name of it. We'll put it in the show notes after 100%. we find it and, and we'll do that. But it was an interesting company indeed that treasures could indeed um, be looking at it. So given, given all of these challenges, diversification is indeed. So you also mentioned that your money market fund already has these CPs, but probably at a percentage or a diversification, which you can't control, right? Um, you could always go into the market for other money market funds and, and compare different ones and say, okay, this one's a little bit more risky, this one's a little less, um, and, then, and then work accordingly. But then having that flexibility to do it yourself that, that's kind of what you're advocating for, right? Which is that hey, look, you're going to get it anyway and it's baked into the money market funds. Doing it directly would probably be a little bit cheaper. You probably save on some of the fees, but also uh, allows you to have the flexibility on how much you're diversifying, right? Yeah, I just I just think it's, it's another way you can add an element of diversification to your portfolio. I think, you know, what's probably more relevant and, and more comfortable for treasurers is being able to access governments or SSAs, so supra subsovereigns and agencies. So establishing those connections um, via whomever may be able to provide it uh, is really important. So rather than taking bank risk, you can take government risk, you know, and rather than taking government risk, you can take agency risk or, or sub-sovereign um, who carry very high credit ratings, um, you know, and are probably in most cases, majority government owned these, these agencies. And so I think you know, I'm not sitting here and saying all corporates should start buying loads of other CP. It's just another tool um, which, if you have the access to, you, you, you afford yourself that choice, you know, that ability to access it. You are, if you are in money market funds, as I say, you will have an element of exposure to it already. Um, so, you know, don't be so adverse to it, I would be my, um, my take. 
it's tough to get a corporate treasurer to not be risk adverse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's about it's about diversifying. That's what it's about. It's about you know, not being purely exposed to the to the financial sector. Um, you know, maybe you start with getting access to government bills, right? Before that, and SSA paper, and then you think about that corporate corporate risk. Makes a lot of sense. So in that order of priorities that you highlighted earlier, capital safety, liquidity, yield, you put them diversification in there as well. Um, have those priorities changed over the last few years uh, with everything that's been going on? Or I don't know if the right question is have the priorities changed or rather have the importance or the weighting of each of those priorities changed at all, in your opinion? Yeah, I, th I think it comes it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. I mean, I definitely think it still runs true. Security, li liquidity, yields, and diversification baked in there somewhere as well. It in that order, you know, the the importance of cash can't really be understated. The importance of being able to pay your staff, pay your vendors, keep keep the business running, you know, is is the is the utmost priority. So capital preservation, it, I think, is is always going to be number one. You know, what has changed is we have this thing called, you know, interest rates now. You know, two, three years ago, we didn't have those. And it made no odds if you invested in an overnight vehicle or in a three-month term deposit or in a six-month investment or whatever it might be. Your rate of return was not material, right? It wasn't making a material difference to you. Um, and it wasn't that long ago, right, where we were in euro uh, negative rates. So, you know, things are looking very different now to how they were. And it does take a little while to sort of, I think, change the mindset that actually, you know, if I do turn out, there are, there are significant material differences to be made. So I don't think the priority has changed. I still think it's, it's that order. That's, that, is in, that, that is how a treasurer should think and, and does think. Um, but the benefit of terming out has, has seriously uh, increased and, and, and add to it. And so now, you know, a CFO is going to be looking at their cash portfolio, seeing what they've got. All right, we're we're all overnight. We're we're in all we're all, we're only in a current account, or we're only in a money market fund. You know, is there something else we can be doing um, to to improve the returns in this cash and and offset, as we were talking about earlier, the, the impact of inflation? So I think just to sort of um, you know come back to the question, same order definitely of priority, but it's now got this added element of actually I can add material returns to my my cash. You said something else very interesting here, Oscar. Um, you brought in the CFO. So whilst we focus on the different options for the treasurer, as cash is becoming emperor, if uh, if I may um, do the burn with cash is king, does the importance of cash, has the importance of cash become so big that now CFOs and even maybe boards in your perspective are looking into what type of investments are made because now it's not about, okay, well, whether we get 0.2% or 0.5% on our excess of cash. Now we're talking about 10 times the amount. Um, is the importance of cash becoming so big that it's looked upon by higher people in the hierarchy? Uh, definitely. And, and just to touch on your point there, cash is emperor. I really like it. I mean, I heard cash is trash a little while ago, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's ever true, right? You know, it's never trash. Sure. And I think emperor or empress or, or king or queen is definitely uh, is definitely right and yeah from my experience it, it's certainly taking more attention from from top of house 
I think you know, talking to treasurers, there's a little bit more impetus on, you know, not only um, keeping it safe and, and, and making sure it's appropriately managed from a, from a risk perspective, um, but also thinking about how am I making it work better for us? Because like I say, the environment we're in now is just hugely different to what we were in a, a few, a, you know, a few short years ago. And, and, you know, one risk we haven't touched on much is, is that liquidity risk. Um, because of course, you know, you can, you can, you can tie up cash, but if you're in a, in a vehicle, you can't unlock at all. There's an element of risk there, but of course you can also be in maturity transformed vehicles like, um, you know, like a money market fund where you're getting same day access, but actually your cash is spread across you know, instruments from, from one day all the way out to 12 months and sort of everything in between. Although you get same day liquidity on 100% of your cash and so does everyone else. So there is a, a degree of risk there um, because if more than 20% or more than 30%, depending on where the cash is managed, want to get their cash out, they're not going to be able to. And then there could be a run on the fund. And so this is something that needs to be thought about. And it is thought about, you know, there's been various different um, sort of fees and gates have, have, have been implemented into the money fund industry to sort of offset this risk. Um, it does seem to be changing all the time um, with, with, with where we are. Um, but it's just another element of risk that, that people need to be thinking about when managing cash. Um, but look, I definitely think cash is, is top, you know, not, maybe perhaps not top priority, but it's certainly up there and certainly is cash is, is, is emperor or something like that. Getting there. I think according to recent surveys, uh, cash flow forecasting is the number one priority of CFOs and treasurers. So not directly, okay, where are we going to invest our cash, but pretty, pretty close to it. Yeah. And I think, I think with cash flow forecasting, right, if you have that, you know, buttoned down, that then leads to the ability to then manage cash better. It means you can invest it further out. It means, right, I know I'm not going to need this pocket of 50 million for the next three, six months. I can go and find out where I can place it in a cash vehicle um, to, to, to get a higher return um, because I know I'm not going to need that. You know, it's, it's cash, cash flow forecasting is an interesting one because it always will come back to, you know, I, I think we, we talk about trash already, but garbage in, garbage out um, in terms of cash flow forecasting. So these tools are great, but it's all about getting the right data. And if treasurers can get that right, get the right inputs from their various different teams across the world and everything, and then they can get a great sight of where their cash is and what position they are in their cycles, and then they can manage it more effectively, then we're on for a sort of a golden ticket, if you like. 100%. Something you brought up earlier is the difference between the, the US and Europe. Um, could we dive a little bit more into this? Like, if location plays such a big role, um, in short-term investment decisions from treasurers. From your perspective, what are the main differences in terms of markets and landscape um, between the US and Europe? Mm -hmm. And therefore, what are the consequential options for treasurers between those two regions as well? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, there's a few key ones. Um, I think, and look, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying I'm an absolute expert and I know you know, exactly what every US treasurer thinks compared to every European treasurer. But broadly speaking, I think US treasurers maybe are viewed slightly more as a, as a, um, a value add sector in that, you know, you can grow the business. So you take this cash and you make it work harder, you invest it. And that's why 
these short-term investment portfolio managers that are coming in and they're, and they're actually managing the cash more like a portfolio. Um, it's why seg mandates are more popular over there. So people are going to asset managers and saying, here's a big pool of cash, look after it for me. Manage it within these confines or what have you. You know, we have those in the UK and across Europe, but it's not quite the same level of, of popularity. So I think that's one thing, um, you know, in, in the, and then in, and then in um, the UK and Europe, it's viewed as more about, you know, protecting that treasure, protecting the cash and making sure it's there for the people who need it. And yeah, okay, if you can get a bit of a return, then that's great. Obviously, what we've just talked about is that that's changing slightly, um, and I think it will continue to. Um, but yeah, there's certainly there's certainly a difference in that in that respect. And then you know we touched on it again earlier, but it's about the the, the access the U.S. Treasuries have, and there's much more openness to direct security purchases. So buying U.S. T bills or investing in in U.S. government bonds, you know, to further out uh, the curve. Um, or, as we talked about, buying corporate paper or SSA paper. There are plenty of market makers out there who are doing this in the US, and it just seems more, more commonly done than what we do here in, here in, in Europe. Um, and, and, yeah, and I think that's, that they're, they're, they're sort of the two, two of the key differences that, that I sort of found over the last sort of few weeks being, being over there at the AFP and whatnot. Um, you know, things... Things are fluid, and of course, they vary from company to company. You have some companies here who are really looking for that that higher return in, in their cash portfolios, and then you have companies who who don't care. So there's a cultural element both within the the region they're in, but then within the company itself. Mm. Oscar, one of our favorite exercises on the Corporate Treasury 101 is to chase down and break acronyms uh, to make them understandable. We've touched upon quite some that uh, we've already touched upon in the podcast, so it's it's fine. But you mentioned SSA paper. Could you could you explain what that is, please? Yeah, look. So it's just it's just a broad term for the super sub sovereigns and agencies agency world. So these are exactly that. So they're supranationals, so which are government like organisations um, who go out to market and raise um, raise debt. So they might do that via issuing paper, issuing bonds. Um, and you purchase these typically via a broker-dealer. Um, and so these often carry a, a high credit rating. So because of their ownership structure, you know, they might be 60% government-owned, 70% government-owned, um, or they might be 100% government-owned and, and raising debt on behalf of the government. So it's another place where treasurers can, can diversify away from purely financial risks or purely corporate risk or wherever else you might be spending cash. Yeah. And sometimes people just refer it to as the agency market. 